you really did did feel like there was this massive team around you helping you sort of achieve this dream that you had running around in the mountains and I think that is the essence of the Bob Graham round and that's what makes it so unique and beyond anything else you'll ever experience as a trail runner because it isn't just you out there alone it's yeah. you with this massive team helping you to achieve this thing and a lot of the guys that were there as well running alongside me they had also done the Bob Graham round themselves so I think they could really relate and understand sort of what I was going through. Welcome or welcome back to the Virtual Podcast, Ronnie Long. I'm your host, Francesco Puppi, and I'm a professional athlete for Nike and also a Virtual coach. Today's guest is Henriette Albin, a professional tour runner for Arcteryx living in Norway. Henriette just set the Women's Winter FKT of the Bob Graham Round, one of the most challenging and famous trail routes in the British Lake District, tagging 42 peaks and covering 106 kilometers with over 8,000 meters of elevation gain. We discussed the challenges of her adventure, how she planned it and ex executed it, racing and FKTs in trail running, quitting her normal job to become a professional athlete, defining success and where she finds her motivation and sense of validation. We talk about training and living with an absolute star of the trail running world like Jonathan Albin. Before we go, for those of you who are new here, Vertran is the number one training app for trail and ultra marathon runners of all levels. Our mission is to make trail running accessible to everybody everywhere through affordable coaching. With your Vertran subscription, you will get a personal coach who checks in with you each week to answer your questions, adjust your training plan, and keep you accountable and inspired. This year, Bertrand is again the official online coaching for the UTMB Mont Blanc event. Discover more on our app and unlock your best finish ever with Bertrand. For those of you who want to give training with Bertrand a try, you can take 30% off your first month of training with the code running long 30. So here we go. Without further ado, please welcome Harriet Alban. Harriet Alban, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. And likewise, yeah. <laughs> How's the winter treating you in Ramsdal? How's the what weather, did you say? The winter. The winter. Yeah. Uh, yes. Now, the winter is, it's been pretty good so far. We've had some great weeks of skiing interspersed with some rainier warmer weather uh so it's been a little bit on and off but i actually find that that's good for training because then it, yeah like if you have really good weather all the time especially with skiing you end up just doing too much volume you sort of need those <laughs> natural breaks so the weather does sort of force you to do that when it's a bit like yeah cyclical i suppose um so yeah i suppose winter's treating me well i'm getting into a good training groove now and just enjoying it well i like the idea to adapt to the cycles of nature and the weather in you know in terms of training and not just have you know everything planned and stick to a you know a training plan and and all of that um 
Good. Uh, have you been running at all or just skiing? Um, I have been running more than I usually do during the winter. Um, I had a bit of an injury last winter and just realized how much running fitness and sort of uh, increased injury risk you get from taking a prolonged break from running. Uh, so this winter, I've decided to sort of try and incorporate at least 40 to 50 kilometers of running a week, I'd say, okay. um, sometimes a bit more. Uh, so just trying to make that transition into the spring and trail season a bit um, easier than it has been in previous years. So. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, and how does that volume get spread out throughout the week, like in just maybe two or three sessions or more? Like how do you split the volume between schema and running? Um, so now I tend to do my interval sessions running. Mm -hmm. So that'll be like two tempo sessions a week, which it for me, that won't be more than like 12 to 16K, something around there per session. Uh, so I'll have two of those and then I'll add in some recovery jogs, maybe an easy jog just to get the volume up. And the rest of it will mainly be ski mountaineering. Cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll dive into training um, later on in our conversation. But the, the main reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast is, of course, because of uh, your bog round winter record, which has definitely caught my attention. And I wanted to ask you more about this adventure. Um, so for, for those who don't know, the bog round is a super popular FKT. It's a, like a fell running route in the English uh, Lake District, and it's named after Bob Graham, who is a guy who basically set this route, which traverses 42 fells, uh, starting and finishing in Caswick. And uh, the route is basically 66 miles, so 106 kilometers, with 8,200 meters of elevation gain, which is close to 27,000 feet of ascent. And you completed the whole route in 17 hours, 55 seconds. Um, 55 minutes, 25. Yeah, sorry, 55 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> On the 19th of December. So like basically like the shortest days of the year or like close to it. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely wanted to ask you more about it. Like how was the style of the FKT supported or unsupported um and just the challenges of you know being out there for so long um it's a very tough and pretty wild route like in the fells like off trail and it involves a bunch of scrambling and yeah just also like navigating skills so i, I wanted to ask you more about that yeah sure so yeah i mean before we sort of dive into the details of it all Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to stop you a little bit because I'd say the Bob Graham round, it's more than just sort of an FKT, a fastest known time, mm -hmm. because True. this route dates back to 1932. It's insane when Bob Graham first decided to link up 42 peaks in England. Um, it's quite funny, actually, the story behind it, because he turned 42 that day and thought, you know, I'm going to link up 42 peaks. Yeah, 42 peaks. 42. <laughs> I yeah. love that aspect cool. of it all. Uh, but yeah, so this uh, sort of route does really date back to way before we were born. And it's got such a rich history and spirit around it. 
And that's really shaped what it is today. And so no one actually managed to sort of repeat Bob Graham's feat in 1932 until like the 1960s. So there was a really long period of time where a lot of guys especially were trying to, you know, tick off these 42 peaks within 24 hours because that was the challenge back then. They didn't manage until the 1960s. And then sort of from the 1960s up until today, quite a few people have managed to sneak under 24 hours. And then if you do manage that, you become part of what they call the um, Bob Graham 24-hour club. So yeah. if you Google it, there's this like website. They have with, a website, right? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a website. It's got all the rules on it. And then it's got all the names of the people who are now a member of this club because they completed the Bob Graham round within 24 hours. Um, and you actually have people like Scott Jurek on there as well. He's done it. Uh, Ricky Lightfoot's done it. So you can really dive into who's done it, what time did they set, um, and then for some people as well, it will say what time do they have on each peak. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned, there's a lot of history involved. There's certain sort of ethical rules you should follow when you go mm -hmm. and do the attempt as well. So it really goes beyond what most of us sort of think of as, as just an SKT where there's a route and you go do it as fast as you can. The Bob Graham round has really come with a lot more. Um, and that's what initially drew me towards this particular route. Um, I wanted a bit of an adventure at the end of the trail season. I felt like I just sort of ramped up my running, got into some decent trail running shape. But then it was, you know, early November and I was like, hmm, <laughs> the season's almost over, but I still want to do something really cool and fun. Um, and I'd done a lot of races. That's why I started looking into FKTs and whatnot. And my husband, John Alban, he's English, and I've also lived in the UK. And the Bob Graham Round's just always been on my radar. Um, Killian Jornet, he lives very close to us as well. He's done the Bob Graham Round. Yeah. Um, and yes, I've always just sort of had it at the back of my mind. And then it seemed to fit in perfectly in between visits to family in the UK and Norway. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the Bob Graham round. And the fascinating thing about this round as well is that it differentiates between what you'd call a summer round, which you do, well, you can do it in the spring and autumn as well, but the weather is generally kinder. And then you have the winter rounds where the weather and especially the darkness as well is a big factor um so i would be attempting the round in december which would put me in the sort of winter bob graham round um category <clears throat> and um yeah there's record lists for both the summer round and the winter round and when i looked at the record times for the females you had elsie davis who set a really good time early january 2023 there's a video out about it as well on um the north faces channel so if you haven't watched that i suggest you do that while you're running on the treadmill <laughs> um but yeah so i sort of had it on my radar i looked at her time and i thought oh this is a great challenge it really excites me it gets me motivated to train um and there was that rich history surrounding it as well so i just thought you know what i'm gonna do the winter bob graham round <laughs> cool yeah very cool and yeah obviously it's one of the most popular routes and um some like real legends of the sport like killian journey uh have attempted the route yeah, killian used to hold a 
FKT with, I think it was just under 13 hours. And now it's been lowered in 2022 by Jack Quenzel. And uh, the woman's record is by Beth Pascal, I think still uh, from yeah. 2020, the year of COVID when everyone was doing FKTs. Yeah, I mean, her time on that is blazing it's pretty fast. pretty insane, yeah. Yeah, it's really fast. I think that is almost untouchable. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that is really fast. Uh, How did you plan the, the adventure? Like, um, first of all, like the logistic and then like how did you face the challenges of the terrain the, the darkness the weather conditions and, and all yeah that? so the special thing about the bob graham round which we haven't spoken about yet is the fact that you actually have to have a witness on each of the tops oh, um wow. so it means that it's not something you go and do alone you have to have friends so the, the gps and track is not enough no, no, the GPS track is not <laughs> enough. You need a it doesn't prove that you did a bot gram round. No, because the going back to the history, actually the people who run in that area and run a lot on the fells, they they didn't used to use GPS watches. Of course. So the idea is you're supposed to do it sort of in a similar style to what Bob Graham did. Cool. Um, and so you have to have paces with you. And in order to get enough paces, you need to get to know people in the area. So... Um, I decided to do the Bob Graham round like end of October and then I got in touch with some friends and whatnot that we knew in the area and they quickly sort of turned around and said um, if you want to like actually do this well you're going to have to travel out recce the route get to know some people and get together your crew because you need a crew for this it's not just something you can show up and do um, and so I traveled out there mid-November uh it was horrendous weather at that point as well it was just raining and windy and yeah super awful uh but i managed to recce the majority of the route apart from a couple of sections um i got in touch with some people that i knew in the area and also some people that were introduced to me when i was out there um and that trip turned out to be super crucial because without it i would not have had the help that i required and needed and relied on on the day of the attempt itself um, and so what I did was I basically set the date 19th of December as the day that I would do the attempt unless it was very favorable weather plus minus one day so I had a three-day window essentially and told all my paces that's the day you need to be available then uh, <laughs> I traveled back home I trained away did some skiing and then um, we visited our family in the UK before Christmas, uh, as we normally do. Drove six hours to the Lake District. And then it was basically time to run around. And when I initially sat down and decided to do this, I thought it would be challenging, but like a realistic challenge. And the night before I was going to do the route, I looked at the weather. I'd recce the route and knew how technical and challenging it was and I did think to myself you know what this is perhaps more than what I bargained for I'm not quite sure whether I'm going to manage to finish this and now I have 15 people lined up ready to crew me <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah I really did feel like the pressure was on um and 
I, I was I was quite nervous going into it, especially the couple of days before. And the conditions is a, it plays such a role in the, um, especially during the winter rounds. I mean, I had something like 11 hours of darkness in the yeah. 18 hours that I was out. So that in itself is challenging. Yeah. Uh, the underfoot conditions were just completely soaking wet because it rained for pretty much three months, I think, before I did this. <laughs> and then on top of that, there was quite a lot of wind and it was due to rain for parts of the day that I was out. But the weather the day before and the day after was just pouring rain the entire time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just have to do this and see see what happens. Um, and initially, I was advised to start at 12 o'clock at night. And I'm someone who really, I, I, like, I like to sleep, to be honest. <laughs> and I know that a bad night's sleep can really affect my performance. And so I decided to start at 2 a.m. initially. That was the plan on the timesheet that all my paces had and my logistical support and stuff. Uh, but then due to the weather, we actually shifted it one more hour. And shifting this impacts where you are at different parts during the night section and the day section, which, again, is quite important when you are running in darkness because you don't want to hit the really technical uh, scrambly sections yeah, with, with minimal daylight, essentially. Um, but I sort of decided to trust my instinct and go with it. Um, and so we started at three, the, the weather window was due to arrive at six and it arrived around seven. So again, I was very happy that I did push the start because running around in pouring rain and wind is really tiring. Uh, so I was sort of starting that thinking, you know, I'll gain back the time later on. Um, and yeah, the, the route in itself you, is broken down into five sections and each section has a road crossing where you yeah. sort of meet up with your crew, you get new paces. And in my case, I got a cup of English breakfast tea as well. So that was great. <laughs> cool. uh, so yeah, you do really have a lot of logistical support around you and you are running around just, you know, you're not carrying your own water or your own snacks. It's very much a, um, yeah, a different type of fastest known time, time attempt yeah. what you would traditionally think of as an FKT. Um, but yeah, have you got what? any other questions? I'm just rambling on at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's it's very interesting for me to understand that it's not the like classic FKT, but it has, like you have to respect the tradition of that specific FKT as it was established and I think it ends up being a almost a team effort actually uh, I don't know if you felt it that way but I was also you know reading the a post from from John who was um seemed to be extremely grateful to to be able to assist you during that challenge and and follow you and support you and then other all the other people and your crew that you mentioned um it feels very much like a team effort as opposed to, you know, a normal FKT, which is usually a solo effort. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the, although like in some ultra races, there are maybe one or two other people involved that will mm -hmm. through you. Yeah. Uh, this was on a if whole different level. Yeah. Cause I had two to three people with me on each of the five legs yeah. And then I, at the road crossings, I had two, two to three people helping just with the road crossing section. 
so there, you really did did feel like there was this massive team around you helping you sort of achieve this dream that you had running around in the mountains. And I think that is the essence of the Bob Graham round. And that's what makes it so unique and beyond anything else you'll ever experience as a trail runner, because it isn't just you out there alone. It's yeah. you with this massive team helping you to achieve this thing. And a lot of the guys that were there as well, running alongside me, they had also done the Bob Graham round themselves. So I think they could really relate and understand sort of what I was going through. Yeah. And the idea as well is that you have people help you, but then you got to turn around and help someone in their attempt as well. So, you know, uh, you've got like 15 people to help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I do actually look forward to going back and helping someone else yeah. uh, do the Bob Graham round because then I'll sort of get to relive my day as well. Because you can sort of just, you you get this understanding on a deeper level, I think, when you are in it together uh, mm -hmm. as a team. And uh, yeah, I think that aspect of it was super special. And that is definitely what makes it yeah the day is just different to anything else you've ever experienced yeah. yeah was it the the longest effort you've ever tried like i know you've raised a few hard case races um but like how challenging was it mentally and physically compared to a normal race yeah so i've done a couple of hundred k's which sort of is around the 12 hour mark I yeah, had like done CCC. an FKT in Norway uh, where mm -hmm. I ran from the east to the west, which was like just under 15 hours, I think. So that was the longest I'd ever been out um, on foot. I'd done a ski mountaineering FKT, which was 16 hours. But I was pacing this for around 19 hours. So it was a considerable jump yep. in duration. Um, that was also one of the reasons why I was quite nervous going into it. Uh, <laughs> But um, yeah, I think I, I was pretty sure I'd managed the first like 10 hours, but there was certainly the question of what would happen after that, especially with it being quite cold. Um, and I was also worried about my feet being in wet swamp yeah. conditions for a very, very long time. Um, yeah, and then... I. Yeah, I'm, I mean, during the day itself, um, I, I had a certain point and I knew that if I got to that point, I would finish. Okay. Um, and what and was that point? So that was uh, Honester Pass when you've done four out of five legs. So I knew I had to make it to that point. And I had, in my head, I'd broken up the course. So I'd actually said that the first two out of five legs was the warm up. Mm-hmm. And then I had leg three, which is very long. It's about five hours and very technical. So in my head, I called that the crux. Yeah. I just had to get through it without falling over or breaking something. It's like a, and, a workout where, you know, you get to the last couple of reps and, you know, the workout is pretty much done no matter yeah, what. <laughs> exactly. And then, but so what I'd done is that leg four out of five, I called something like start pushing. So in my head, that was sort of the start of the route. Good. 
And yeah. that's where the majority of people, they actually call it the graveyard of the Bob Graham because that's where a lot of people end up quitting. Mm. But I then decided to put my AirPods in. I had a tactic for that section because I knew it was so critical to get through leg four in order to complete the round. And I think just because of the way I'd broken it up and also the fact that I had been there and wrecked and sort of knew how horrible it was going to be, I, I was just mentally prepared going into it. And I think when it comes to ultras that is so important because you can be extremely fit but if you're not ready mentally for what's to come i mean that that can make or break your day for sure yeah uh, be, be, be prepare for for the worst basically um, I, I was very much prepared for the worst and i knew what the sort of underfoot conditions would be like and i, I just knew it was going to be a really really tough day um so i was prepared for that and I actually also went into it under um, over rested. Sorry, so mm -hmm. I was uh, I'd almost done too little training in the sort of week before, uh, and I I wasn't quite sure about that. But actually, I think that was a really good thing in the end because I just needed those reserves and I needed to dig really deep on the day. And I think if you go in over rested rather than under rested for an ultra race, that is probably better at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, yeah. There, there were a lot of just small things which m meant that on the day itself, it did really come together. And also, of course, I had a really good team around me. Uh, that That is like, yeah, that was obviously very necessary on this day. But I think also just having them sort of cheer me on and even just being there, that added pressure did mean that I was willing to dig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to give up easy. Yeah. 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 Extra motivation. Yeah, it's cool. Sure. Some some really good lessons from from that experience. I I bet, and I want to to highlight um one of the I think one of the best pieces of the, of advice I've I'd ever got um when it comes to racing or like completing a, a long session, a long route, whatever. Did you just start like? start running as late as possible into the race, like delay as much as possible the moment when things will get hard. Um, it's, yeah, it's always a good idea to like not start full gas basically and keep some reserve of energy for when things will eventually necessarily get hard. And, yeah, um, definitely. and also like be prepared for challenges and, you know, all the variables that you can control and unexpected conditions, basically be prepared for, for the best. And, um, it's something that you can, you can also train, um, but being like physically fit, uh, doesn't mean that you're ready. It's better to be maybe 90% fit and hundred percent willing to accept the challenge. I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, 90% fit and 110% healthy is a good recipe. Because mm -hmm. uh, then yeah. I think your body is just ready for a good challenge, which is so essential when it comes to ultra running. Yeah, true. Mm. What do you think about uh, FKTs versus racing since you've tried this experience and you've participated in many, many races? Um you know, they, they reflect different approaches in the sport. And sometimes we tend to reduce everything to competing and we forget that there is much more to experience other than racing. Um, 
at the same time, I think talking about both of us, we're pro athletes and we have this status because we're able to produce race performances that are not accessible to everyone. Um, so we need to race because it's also in our contract and we need to prove with our results that we are at that level. And with our results, of course, we also get visibility and recognition and, and opportunities. So what's mm. like, what's this balance for you? How do you, how do you see the situation? Yeah. Um, I, I've done quite a few FKTs through the years. I think yeah. I did more before I signed a sort of contract with a sponsor and in the past two years especially I have done more racing and sort of forgotten about this whole personal project side of it all um, and when I did do the Bob Graham I realized how different it is to racing in its own way and also how important it is on a personal level to choose challenges that are just sort of separate from the racing world because uh, at least for me personally, I think it, it gives me a lot of satisfaction to just go out there and experience something that I chose off my own back. I think a racing ex experience is great and it challenges you in unique ways. But I find that a lot of the race experiences can become quite samey over time. You know, you show up as fit as you can, race as hard as you can, and then either have a good experience or a bad experience, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Whereas a personal project or an FKT or something like that is more about the entire process rather than just that one day. Um, and I really enjoy that. And I also think that you know, with the personal project, you can choose something that really excites you and gets your motivation sort of really fired up. And it's been a long time since I've had that feeling mm -hmm. of sort of diving into a project really enthused and yeah, super, super motivated. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I think mixing FKTs or personal projects alongside racing is a great recipe because then you sort of get the best of both worlds. Whereas only choosing racing, uh, for example, can perhaps, yeah, it, it, for, for me at least, it's uh, it's not necessarily the healthiest part. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I was interested in hearing your perspective because um, I enjoy very much the the competition and and racing. But it's true that sometimes the decision to go to a race doesn't doesn't exclusively come from my own motivation, but also because there are, you know, other external factors and incentives, and you know, my sponsors mm. ask me to be present at a certain race, and it's not that I don't want to do it, but it's not like a hundred percent coming from me, so okay. it's a different type of motivation when you're doing something just for for you yourself and also that you don't have to prove anything to to other people by you know uh yeah other people who may look at a ranking and see harriet Albin fifth place oh she did these or that she was good or bad whatever um mm. it's all on herself um yeah. which is something that i i like it very much
Yeah, and the thing with the the sort of personal projects I've done as well, I very much felt like it's me against the elements and the mountain, and mm -hmm. it's about solving for this sort of puzzle I'm faced with yeah. in the best possible way. And that's a very different feeling to when I'm standing on the start line because then it's more me against the competition. Uh, and I'm a perfectionist, A-type personality yeah type of person and I think the switch in mindset for me is very healthy when I choose a personal project over yeah. competition totally totally also because often not always but competitions are of, often a like relatively safe environment where you mm. don't like you don't pay attention to the elements and the nature that much you're much more focused on on the effort and the strategy and what our athletes are doing. Yeah. But there is first a battle within yourself and then a challenge with, with the elements, with the nature, which of course the Bob Graham round uh, really exemplifies because you found the proper, proper British conditions that I imagine for those fellows. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been reflecting on, the validation that we get from race results um, versus the one that we get, like the validation that we get from ourselves and from our own experience. And I think as athletes, the risk is always to tie our definition of success to a result or like external recognition. And like we forget that we get to define what success means and we're just as worth as people even if we have a bad result or things don't have the outcome that we expect mm -hmm. is it something that you ever struggle with and um just how's your relationship with success and external recognition and motivation and like where do you get your sense of validation yeah uh big question yeah but um I'd like to perhaps go back a couple of years before I was what some people would call a sponsored athlete. <laughs> uh, I went out and ran on the trails just because I loved being out there. I worked a normal day job as an auditor, um, worked a lot. And the, yeah. for me, the trails was, that was my place and where I could just enjoy being me alone without any pressure, without any sort of, you know, chasing podiums or results or anything like that it was it was just about being out there um obviously I've had a husband as well who's been a professional athlete for about 10 years now so that was always in the background um and then fast forward two three years I'm now a sponsored athlete I'm no longer an auditor I steer my sort of projects in terms of work I'm well I'm self-employed essentially uh, alongside being an athlete um, and then what sort of happened is that yes my arena for performing is very much related to trail running uh, whereas before that was not the case whatsoever yeah. and I'm so I, I enjoy doing a good job whether it's at university or at work or when it comes to sport I enjoy doing well <laughs> And yeah, so, you mentioned you're a perfectionist. So, yeah, I mean, it makes I very sense. Much am, yeah. And so <laughs> as soon as I became a sponsored athlete, it was a question of, 
how can I get the best results possible? And it's not like my sponsor has said, you know, you need to do really well in races. They signed me based on who I was be before, you know, uh, but still there's that drive within me to go, okay, I, I want to do. You still feel well. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that did result in a bit of a negative spiral. And my first year as a sponsored athlete was a steep learning curve, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, I had a case of red S on top of that as well. Oh. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, had a, I had a rough ride. I had some pretty good results. I didn't win anything, but I did come like sixth in both OCC and CCC in two consecutive years. I've been uh, up there in the Golden Trail series, but I've also had DNFs and periods of feeling just like I was drowning, essentially. Uh, and then chuck in health problems on top of that. It's It's been an interesting couple of years. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, racing and the competitive side can be great, a great way of challenging yourself. But I do think it's important to just have that perspective on things and remember that, you know, at the end of the day, it is just racing and it is something we do because we love it. And I do find that it's 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 easy to say that, but it's, yeah, it's very hard not to get too caught up in that process of train, 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 perform, 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 do as best as you can. Because um, that's the path I, I naturally drift towards. But I think having that sort of, slightly more relaxed uh, view of things when it comes to racing and the competitive side is important. And that's where the personal projects and FKTs really fill a good sort of space in my head. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. Um, yeah. And I think in the end, uh, we need to remember that our identity is not completely tied to running and success doesn't mean that we have to always win or achieve, like surpass people's expectations or even our own expectations all the time. Mm. So we get to define what success means for us. Um, but as athletes, of course, we're very focused and motivated and driven. So it's also hard to detach from this idea that, yeah, success doesn't necessarily mean to win races and perform yeah. and and all of and like be driven and motivated to train and all of that, which is also something that our sports sports culture promotes. Um, because yeah. you know you open social media and everyone seems to be, you know, always motivated and you know putting in huge training weeks and performing and never getting injured and all of that. So there is also the comparison game, which is. Yeah, not always easy to stay away from. Yeah, and I think as well in today's society, you know, being an athlete, you want to sort of justify your role in society as an athlete. Exactly. That's and... something I felt a lot when I yeah. started to, to go pro. You know, I, I also quit my previous job as a teacher. Yeah. And I really felt the pressure, uh, or maybe it was just in just within myself, but like I was letting someone down or like I had to explain something because of the unconventional 
yeah. career that I was choosing. You know, like running was a a privilege, like something that I. Yeah, it's it's not a privilege to run well or, or like to get the possibility to run professionally. You have to be brave enough to pursue that opportunity. Uh, for sure, we need to remember that running in general is a privilege. It's something that unfortunately is not accessible to everyone and everywhere. But we shouldn't feel guilty for our position as professional athletes. Just, mm -hmm. of course, grateful, yeah, uh, for for the possibility, the community, the opportunities that are given to us. But I think it's important to stress this difference between gratitude and uh, privilege that sometimes we feel. And yeah. that makes us think like we have to prove something by being pro athletes. Uh, yeah. When we go to a race or when we train or in our daily lives. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it is like a lot of jobs around the world, I suppose you have to make sacrifices and it's hard work to get to the top. Mm -hmm. um, and we work at it every single day and remind ourselves every single day what our goals are. Uh, and it's certainly a, a very, uh, I wouldn't say unique lifestyle, but it, it's different to the average eight to four job for sure. Yeah. Can you... Describe the moment when you chose to quit your job as a, what did you do before, an advisor? Uh, I was an auditor. So auditor. like Sorry. a lot of just looking at companies' accounts mm -hmm. in Excel spreadsheets, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 50 hour weeks. Uh, yeah. Working quite a lot. And obviously in Bergen, I had, uh, in Bergen yes. Yeah. Um, one of the sort of bigger cities in Norway. Uh, I previously worked a bit in London as well. So I'd sort of climbed the career ladder, focused on my studies, moved into sort of work and worked really hard and wanted to do that really well. But um, my husband, John, was a professional athlete and had been for like five-ish years at that point. And we were pretty locked due to my work in terms of traveling, yeah. uh, doing what we really loved doing, which was being outside together in the mountains. Um, and then we sort of thought about our options and what the risks would be if I did decide to sort of put my job on hold and try other avenues. Um, and we sort of concluded that, you know what, let's, let's go for it. Let's mix things up and see what life serves us. Um, and that was a huge relief to me because I had had this feeling that I was sort of trapped in a cage because mm -hmm. I really didn't want to be in the office and do that life at this point in time. Uh, I think there's a time and place for everything, but just with the circumstances I was faced with, I just kept thinking, this is not right for me. It doesn't feel right. It's not what I want to do. And that just made every day quite sort of tiring and just it didn't yeah. obviously work out very well <laughs> um so yeah we decided to just go for it just before covid actually i quit my job then covid happened <laughs> yeah of course uh, which was <laughs> easy, easy to manage <laughs> yeah but um that actually gave us the chance to reconsider where we wanted to live in norway and that's when we moved to rumstan where we're based now the, there's great ski mountaineering conditions here and, and that's the main reason we decided to be based here uh, because we love skiing during the winter months uh, and Bergen is known to be 
milder and rainier. So. Yeah. Mm. Also great training partners being very close to Peter Engdahl and Killian and Emily and yeah. all the amazing that's quite the training community. group. Yeah. yeah, that's quite the community up here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, But yeah, I do think that, so although there are a lot of strong athletes, I think everyone, they have got their own way of training and their own approach to things. So although we're quite a few athletes here now, we don't necessarily train together on a regular basis. Yes. I'd say the sort of couple of sessions here and there we'll do together. And if someone's training for something similar, um, they might be, you know, pairing mm -hmm. up a bit more. Uh, but we do tend to sort of stick to our own training style, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're we're sort of out at the same time and we'll see each other and yeah. Say hi. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I also love the the project that you did just before the end of the year where you climbed the, uh, I think it was Nezazkla, um, yeah. a bunch of times for Save the Children, I think. It was something for charity, right? Yeah, that was, was like uh, you and Killian and Patter and Ida and all your Bromsol community involved. Very yeah, cool. that was quite good. It was like a 700 and well, is it yeah, around 700 meter climb? And then we got the gondola down and we did so that I, for 10 times for 10 good, hours. Good recovery for from the the Bob Graham round. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that was the before the Bob Graham round. So it was ah, okay. Perfect okay. training session. I okay. was like, yes, this the is last great. big one. <laughs> I get to do seven and a half thousand meters of climb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that cool. was that was good fun, actually. I really enjoyed that as well. Uh it was that was great to do something for a different reason to why yeah. we traditionally get out there and challenge ourselves. So yeah. mm. how is it to leave with a professional athlete and tour running star like John? I mean I my my girlfriend is an athlete. She's not a pro athlete, but and so on one hand it's easier because she understands my necessities and my training and you yeah. know when I need to travel to a race and everything. On the other hand, I think it's not always easy to be part of your partner's success and his training experiences. So how do you yeah? How do you handle that? How do you live together? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I think sure. you're, I mean, it's pretty common that, you know, athletes have a partner who is also a pro athlete thinking about, you know, Killian and Germain with Katty, um, many people, but it's, it's always interesting to, I don't <laughs> know, just look at their relationship and. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. I'm also trying to find inspiration on how to make mm. my relationship better. <laughs> well, John and I have been together for like 17 years. So wow. we really sort of experience life from different angles together. And um, when he first sort of turned pro and worked full time as an athlete, if you could say that, uh, and I was working as an auditor, I would get home after work, see him on the couch and be like, why haven't you cleaned and cooked me dinner? <laughs> you know, why aren't you serving me? Yeah. Because I really didn't sort of grasp the aspect of, oh, he's been training and he's really tired. I didn't view that as a job. I viewed it more as you get to go out and have fun. Yeah. And obviously, um, since I became well, uh, an athlete as well, to a certain degree. <laughs> uh, 
uh, I've learned to appreciate the importance of rest and recovery uh, of the fact that when you do go out and train, you do get really tired and you won't necessarily be prioritizing cleaning the house when you're done. <laughs> um, and so I think when we are two people who are both athletes, we can both understand that this comes first in a way and everything else comes <laughs> second and fourth. Yeah. Because that's very much how it is. We live and breathe uh, what we do um, and have very much devoted our life at the moment to it. And um, yeah, it's our lifestyle and how we live and we both respect that um, and prioritize accordingly. And I think so when you are two people that are in that situation, it, it does make it easier. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, you know, we talk training all the time. Yeah. We train all the That's time. That's also not not always easy, you know. And if no. for example, if someone is having a you know, a great training block or enjoying some success from a race and maybe the other one is injured or struggling, it's not easy to That's really challenging. That. We, we we actually say like because John I was injured last year for example mm -hmm. and when we speak about that now it's like okay well I drag him down because I'm sort of bad energy yeah. and I think when you're an athlete you're really in tune with your body physically and mentally and so you'll take note of just the smallest thing and although I'm not necessarily trying to be neg negative when you're in a you know bad place due to injury or whatnot the other person will pick up on it and that yeah. can also impact how they feel. Totally. And so getting that balance right and being on the same wavelength is really hard because there's normally one of the two of us who's a bit off due to mm. one reason or the other. It can be the smallest thing, just like weather will really affect me. Um, yeah. So yeah, so interesting. So relatable also <laughs> Yeah, no, that's for me. To hear. Yeah, it is, it is tricky, um, but it's definitely got its benefits as well, but yeah. it is very tricky. And I think the mental aspect of it is not spoken about as much. Yeah. Um, and I, I think as athletes, it's a very, very important piece of the puzzle because if you're mentally in a good place, that will have such a positive impact on how you train and race. Yeah. So important. So true. Yeah. 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 How often do you train together? And uh, like, do you ever get mad at him for going too hard and telling him to slow down and such? <laughs> uh, well, we used to train to, well, when we just used to go out in the mountains together uh, back in the day, it was what we did together because that was our weekend activity. Yeah. 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 But now when we sort That's of go changed. out yeah that's changed we go out with the purpose we're there to train and to be honest like from my perspective if I'm doing a hard session where like an interval session or like a steady session where you're sort of supposed to be moving a bit fast and I have him next to me who's doing what would then be a recovery session for him I get annoyed because I don't feel powerful and strong and like I'm moving fast so when he asks if he can join me for my harder sessions, I normally say no. Uh, the exception being skiing, because then it can be quite useful to have him making tracks at the front. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'll accept it. But in all honesty, like 
we rarely go out um, together running. It will be mainly biking or skiing where he can be in front and then I can sort of sit behind him, which is beneficial in that situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny also. Um, maybe final question before we go towards the end of the conversation. Um, I think one of your side projects or other occupations besides running is the app that you created with John that is called Album App. Uh, yeah. I think you're also working on it, if I'm correct. Um, yeah, we're like a tiny team. It's essentially yeah. a programmer and John and I, and then we have a guy who helps up with, uh, us with the media side of things as well. So we're like a team of four. Um, we used to do more online coaching. Mm -hmm. But then we wanted to make training more accessible to a wider group of people. And it was actually one of the uh, clients that John was coaching that who was a data programmer who reached out and said, you know, I think we could make a great app here. And it's like two and a half years ago now, I think, that we yeah. basically started creating this app. And it's been a little bit of a hobby project on the side, which has gradually evolved and is finally perhaps getting somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very cool. Um, can you describe maybe more in detail some functionalities and yeah, yeah, you mentioned the reason why you built it to make training more accessible to a larger group of people. There is also a yeah. really good YouTube channel where you give, you know, tips about training and there is like, I, I remember watching a, a small tutorial about uphill running and running form when you're running uphill, uh, that was done by John. Yeah, um, so, so how's how's it going? Yeah, so the app is sort of based on John's training ethos or approach to training. Um, and it sort of provides you with the base structure every week. So like a training plan every week. But then with, within each session or workout that you're going to do, you get some flexibility and choice. Yep. So it's not like a, you have to do this on this particular day. It is a little bit more flexible. And the main feature, which we really enjoy, is the fact that you can put in like your priority races and it will um, phase your training as you get closer to your race, uh, because that's an issue we had when we were just sort of coaching ourselves. We'd suddenly be like, oh, no, we got four weeks till our race and we should have done this and this and this already. Uh, so, so it just helps you keep track of where you are compared to your race, what training you should do at different points in time and whatnot. And then we have add-ons such as a massive video library with John giving tips and tricks and whatnot. Uh, we have built-in video timers as well for like strength exercises. Uh, so it's basically the tool that we want in our training to make our training easier that we've also made accessible to whoever else wants to sort of uh, try that approach as well. And uh, yeah, it's it's a work in progress still, but uh, always yeah. a work in progress. Yeah, just like uh, the virtual app that I work for as well. Mm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you planned your twenty twenty four season yet? Um, and maybe what are some of your of your goals and um, and races yeah. where we will see you this year? Mm. So. In previous years, I've very much looked at the entire year and been like, oh, I'm going to do these races running from May till November. 
But my approach this year is, okay, I've planned my spring season and then I'm going to see more of what happens in the autumn. And so my main goals in the spring will be um, Ultra Trail Snowdonia by UTMB, the 55k there. Yeah. Um, and then the Minotaur Sky Race in the Skyrunning World Series. And then I'm sort of going to see a bit where I'm at, what I fancy doing in the autumn. Um, there's the option of going for the entire Skyrunning World Series um, and getting enough races and doing the final there. There's also the option of doing some racing, but then switching focus to a personal project as well, uh, which is an exciting prospect in itself. Uh, so I'm sort of keeping the autumn a little bit open and that's part of my tactic of yeah. being a little bit more relaxed about it all. And flexible um, also. Yeah. And just reading the body and seeing what I enjoy doing as well. Because if there's one thing I have learned over the past two years as sort of a sponsored athlete, it's that you need to keep that enjoyment factor in there. Because if Always. you're doing it just for the sake of doing it, what's the point? Uh, we work so hard day in, day out. You really have to find that spark inside you that gets you excited about what's to come. Uh, and I hope to just sort of keep that when the season does start as well uh, and sort of keep it a little bit flexible and feel out what do I fancy doing when I get to the autumn, for example. Mm. I agree more. Yeah. Flexibility is key. And also like sometimes laying out your complete calendar for the year, um, like you find yourself halfway through the season feeling like you have to live up to your expectations or also others expectations just because you put it out on social media mm -hmm. so like to have some more freedom and flexibility there to yeah. follow your own motivation and also your your energy levels because uh i don't know last year uh i think i made a mistake of doing um maybe more races than what my body could handle yeah. I went to the US after OCC with the, the Golden Tour Series um, group, um, ended up racing poorly and also getting sick. Yeah. So it was yeah. not like a, the best experience from a, an athletic perspective. Um, so maybe this year I will try not to repeat the same mistake. You learn, yeah. you try to, yeah. to get to know yourself better. Um, you apply what you learn and uh, that's... That's the fun part of training and racing, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. There is a lot of learning involved. And I think it's okay to make the same mistake a couple of times, but you yeah. don't want to make it every season. So tweaking accordingly is super let's, important. Let's, let's try not to be too too stubborn. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. It's been a huge pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I've learned uh, a lot. You had some really good advice for anyone who loves trail running. Thank you. Yeah. Hope to see you soon. Yeah. Likewise. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our great interview today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player or by sharing it on social media, tagging me and Bertrand. We would really appreciate that. If you haven't already downloaded the Bertrand app, I encourage you to do so. There, you can connect for free with our trail runners of all levels in the Vertran community in our in-app groups. You can stay in trail shape with our free workout videos 
and get affordable coaching for your next running goal for only $25 a month. Thanks again for being here today. Until next time, I'm Francesco Puppi. Thank you for listening to Running Long.